last night, Tanisra was reflecting on the hindrances, those oftentimes very compelling states of mind that arise that uh, seem to obstruct us. Sometimes we don't even know they're obstructing us. We just, we get swept along by them. But they can hinder us from, from, from going deeply into the depth of the true nature of this moment. The Buddha sometimes described these uh, energies, formations, when we don't really recognize them like a mountain stream. It's flowing down toward the sea and that at different places the water is diverted off for some purpose or other. But that the power of the current then is, is diverted so that it can't carry with force down to the, to the, to the ocean. When these uh, hindrances or diversions are, are removed or closed or recognized in the, the, the force, the penetrating power of our gaze, of our awareness, of our presence, sees through the superficial surface appearance of things that make us sometimes feel like, no, the good stuff is over there when we're caught up in desire, that fever. It's not that desire is bad, but, it, but, it, but when it's uh, tainted with, with confusion, it, it, there's no choice in it. It's, it's like a, you, don't, you don't choose to be thirsty. There's this sense that there's something missing. I've got I've, I've to have it over there where it's bright, over there where it's compelling, over there where it's better, not here where it's painful, not here where it's dark, not here. So that appearance motivates us to move, which is not a bad thing, but it's rooted in the idea that the treasure is not here, the treasure is there. So that leads to this becoming, this flow, imagining we're going to arrive somewhere. Except wherever we arrive, then we don't know how to be. So it goes on. And that mirage in the desert keeps receding, eluding us. So Tanisra last night was laying out some of these patterns and, and inviting us to acknowledge them, encouraging us that uh, inherently there's, there's nothing bad about them. It's when there's ignorance of them that, that, that they can be so destructive. So basically we're opening up a whole new dimension of meditation the, the meditative approach that the Buddha taught is a, is a balancing of stabilizing meditation, 
gathering, calming, grounding, connecting, what could be called samatha practice, where we use an object like the body, like the breath, a calming object, a soothing object, to stabilize and know actually this is happening now and we steady ourselves in dharma, in the truth of this moment, with our feet touching the earth as we walk. All sorts of thoughts about what should I do about the future and oh, I'm not really sure and that that was left undone and it's piling up. There's even more things to do now. And then we think, okay, let it be, but can I be with breathing in? Can I be with breathing out? That's actually happening now. The future hasn't happened yet. That in that, some skill at that stabilizing, that we're learning how to be in relationship with what is. That's an important aspect of meditative training, as the Buddha laid it out. Learning to be in this primary relationship that the Buddha praised as being so valuable is learning how to be with body because the bodily resonance of our being is slower moving. Change is less fast. It's more stabilizing. In a flash, we can be worried about the end of the world or the beginning of a new age or yet another failure or or remembering some big mistake that we made. It's so ephemeral. The bodily changes, resonances, are relatively speaking more slow so we we can establish ourselves steady ourselves and for those of us who have a feeling of the effect of that when we start to do that the energy which is sprayed and diffracted refracted splintered starts to gather as the attention with our skillful means of thinking to remind ourselves, I'm here, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. So that energy starts to gather, and we relax, then there can be a welling up of energy. First, we need to learn how to cope with it. We're not used to sometimes having the energy of fullness of being here. So we learn to relax, cultivate a taste for ease and presence, and persistence as we bring the mind back, bring the attention back. We can also notice that a brightening can happen because the nature of awareness is it illuminates things. And so there's a sense of clarity that can emerge. But as Tanisha was pointing out last night, for some of us that that just happens, for, for most of us, all of us at some stage or another, different things pull us away, divert us, obstruct us. Yesterday in the interview, we heard all sorts of vivid and heartfelt and not theoretical, real descriptions of that as a bombardment, as a, as a, as a catastrophe, as a, as a feeling splintered, swept by things. 
so that we have some choice. We were encouraging us in these first few days to spend some time just saying, not now, touching those energies, but learning how to remind ourselves that it's, but I'm actually sitting here. So that we don't just have to follow every mood and feeling that's coming. We've been encouraging people to keep returning and sensing underneath all that stuff how the body is. What's actually, what are we actually experiencing right now? But even if we get uh, quite good at that, because as we get more skilled at, skilled at that, it's, it's refreshing, steadying, stabilizing. What am I going to do tomorrow? Don't know. Was that the best thing you did when you were responding to that problem in the past? I'm not sure. But, not sure. Then steadying, steadying, steadying is peaceful. But that state is impermanent. I grew up on Lake Chickamauga, and uh, in the, sometimes on a summer's evening, the, the lake is calm and still. Someone's even whispering a half a mile away, and it's like you can hear them. Oh, it's so peaceful. It's delicious. We'd want to drink it in. But someone else wants to drink it in with their motorboat. (laughs) And then one, and then two, and then five, and then ten. But tranquility, when conditions get calm and steady, is like that. It's like the weather. It's good to get some skill with it when we can, but it's, it's not permanent, even if we're good at it. If you get really good at it, it can become a problem because then we just want to be peaceful and we just don't want to deal with sounds and sights and we keep walling off things. I was laughing the other day about our sensory, sensory deprivation chambers. You know, in the end, that's not Nibbana. She's waiting for the next itch, the next distraction. And yet, that steadying and stabilizing is a pleasing abiding, and there's power in it. What made the Buddha so revolutionary for his particular time is he recognized the importance of steadying, calming, healing, Appreciating that, realizing it's impermanent, appreciating it, but then using that steadiness of mind to inquire, to see into the nature of things. So there's calming, and then the other dimension, the liberating dimension of meditation is called vipassana. Pasana means to see, vi means into, to see into. Now, some people find all these terms that we're using and get, get confusing, and, and if there's too much, it's okay. You can just let it go. Take the little bits that are helpful and, 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 and use those. But just, just for the sake of, for some, it helps to, to clarify this. These two dimensions of meditation come out of one heart. They're not actually separate. But it's useful to get a feeling that all meditative practice 
is, is working with different levels of these two principles. Steadying, where you have an object, like the breath or the body, or calming thought, where you steady, stabilize. And then vipassana, where you then look into the nature of things. So like if you get these, these hindrances that were coming in, these, these obstructions, what the heck is going on here? Then we can actually turn our attention with whatever quality we have of presence. And don't underestimate it, even just the fact that we're still here, not spraying out a lot of our energy and excess talk. Don't have cinema features at nights and things like that. We have our own inner cinema, free, absolutely. That's, that's little by little, we're developing presence. We turn some of that presence and to look right at that, whatever that is that's happening, that, that fevered, I've got to get over there, or that, that battening down the hatches is just not wanting to see anything else, hear anything else, think anything else. Could someone cut my head off, please? To actually have a moment of turning the attention to what is this? Not as some kind of theoretical answer, but to, to observe it. Hmm. Inquire into it. Explore it. The two, samatha vipassana, you know, people love words and then think, oh, no, I do samatha. Yeah, look how restless those people are out there. You know, we just get calm and someone says, yeah, they do samatha, but how far do they get? They don't get liberated. I do insight. The Buddha taught these are like two oxen pulling the plow. We, we need both. They work together. They work together. There's no insight without some steadiness of mind. If we're trying to, like in, uh, I know science has changed a lot, but when I went to science in high school, you know, you had these microscopes and slides, and you put a drop on there and you look and focus in and see into, whoa, that's in the water. You see that stuff. So you have to line up and, and look into. Yet if you're moving all over the place and thinking that's the truth, actually you're just seeing the impact of being restless. It's like if you move the camera too much, you get a distorted image. So the capacity to really look into things is facilitated by some ability to be with, to steady ourselves. Similarly, calming meditation has to have some wisdom in it. Remember vitaka vichara? Remember we have a thought that brings us to the moment? The yang aspect of... I'm sitting, I'm breathing in. And then the in, the receptive to fill out. The in-breath, notice when it ends. Feel and then we lose it, coming back. That coming back is the calming, steadying aspect of calm. The feeling in and out, 
if, if, if our calming meditation is only about the ice pick, you know, that's the problem with the word concentrate. It sounds like a shriveling everything up, turning into a laser beam. Sounds like an ice pick. And, you know, there's a place for laser-like attention sometimes, but, but that is brittle. What allows us to stay with something is, yes, we bring the attention, and then we feel it out. That's the, the wisdom aspect of calming meditation. Feel it out. Relax. Then instead of concentrate, it's more like concentric circles. There's a center, but there's concentric there's a spaciousness around that center that can fill up and hold presence that's more established. Calming meditation has to have some wisdom in it. Good wisdom meditation has to have some stability in it. Sometimes we're more established in one or the other. We're giving permission now to, to, to flow between the two in our practice. Steadying ourselves, establish ourselves, relaxing, being here. We don't got to go looking under stones and rummaging around. We can work with what comes. Work with what comes, and then if if you know real desire or aversion comes, then we 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 can uh, be interested. We're still steadying ourselves in the present moment, but then we observe, what is this? This is what our teacher called reading the book of the heart. He said it's the most important book. When he was asked once what the biggest uh, obstacle is in his Western disciples, our teacher Ajahn Chah says, I got so many ideas. They all know about enlightenment and this and that. All these theories. You can write an essay on desire. Yeah. Desire is the cause of suffering, you know, craving and, and aversion. It's one of the three fires, one of the three poisons. There's three basic poisons. There's greed, there's hatred and delusion. And there's suffering, and then there's the end of suffering. And of course, you know, when you get closer to the, to the, to the profound peace of the, you know, those diminish. Ajahn Chah's, if he had any here, he'd be pulling it out. It's one thing to write an essay but is it another thing to know and be with when we really want to be somewhere else? Can we, can we know that? And as Tanisra mentioned last night, desire is always pointing over there. I wonder, that person looks so interesting. They're so peaceful. I, and I just sense there's a resonance. You know, desire is always pointing over there. It's pointing over there. And then, of course, you know, there's a desert here because the good stuff's over there. And to have a moment of, ah, reading the book of the heart, can there be a recognition of there is desire? So quickly, attention's shaped by it. It becomes by it. It's trapped by it, enslaved by it. Practice vipassana, seeing into, is using with some stability, some quality of presence, hmm, 
there's desire. When we immediately assume it's me, that's one heck of an assumption. It leads to all our habitual behavior. It's so powerful when we begin to just see it as an energy, a feeling tone, a current, a part of nature. Ah, there's desire. That's powerful. Feel the difference in the sense of the weight of it than when it's me or when it's, oh. So we're starting to bear with that feeling like we have to follow it. Bear with that energy. Inquire into it. Hmm. Most profoundly begin to notice that it's shifting, that it's changing, that it's actually a guest, something that's moving through the heart. There's awareness of this. There's desire. Be dispassionate about it. To be with desire even for a moment, and Nisra was talking about it last night, already to be with that fevered, gotta have, gotta have, to be with it for a moment, we access dispassion. We access the depth of equanimity. Because actually our true nature is not desire, not craving. It's our true nature, eternally thirsty, never satisfied. It's not that that energy is bad. When that energy is purified, desire can become a choice, become an aspiration that can motivate direction. It's not that it's bad, but when it's unconscious, then it's a hindrance. When we read the book of the heart, what are hindrances then start to become, this is very important, teachers. You know, ajans. They become ajans. They become teachers. They really do teach us. Our, our Ajahn Chah told us, don't be in too big a hurry to get rid of them. We can just start imagining. Oh, yeah, I was done with desire years ago. We just got one huge back room. We're just chucking everything back into Aversion. Just, just pushes away. Really getting to know, really reading the book of the heart. What is aversion? Ill will. When we're not really willing. Part of us doesn't want to be here. Building walls. Against feeling. Against sounds. Against our self. And, to, and when it's so convincing, so seductive, then it's a full-blown hindrance. Then we're imprisoned by it. Then it's like being sick. Then it's like being a slave, the Buddha said. Then it's like being in debt. Then it's like being on a dangerous journey and all your goods could get robbed. But in a moment of, if that's happening, ah, what's this? inquiring in a moment as we read the book of the heart starts to become already a teacher we don't need to be ashamed of our hindrances 
start to get a feeling for the fiery nature, the contracting nature, the compelling nature, the sense of it being me. And in moments we can say, ah, oh, there, there is a version. Like when Tanisha and I used to go to the game parks and when we first went to South Africa. We go out there and Ranger would be walking us around and, and he would point, oh, look at that. And we'd look over there and, whoa, a rhino just sitting in the mud. Whoa. You know, like a big as a pickup truck. You know, or a lion. Or zebra. Or even the scary ones, a crocodile. We're waiting across the, oh, there's a crocodile. Well, why, why are we waiting across the stream? Well, it's over there. Yeah, but what if it goes under? But it's nature. Actually, our heart is all, we're part of nature. As we meditate, we can reflect on the nature. And that's very different when we start to make that transition from me, 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 to see it as it really is. Is there a big true cosmic sign on everything that says it's me? That's something we add. That's a thought that we can notice come and go. To make that shift, to start to see, ah, there is a version. Or there is dullness to explore when the eyelids start to get heavy. We're in the middle of the pea soup and it seems so much like me. To really, where am I feeling it in the body? And and the tendency is to get absorbed and contracted into this, remember, is an object, is something that's moving through the heart this heart that's always luminous. So we can even ask a question sometimes, who's sleeping? For a moment, we've been focused on that rhino that's in the mud, and it's just enjoying being kind of half asleep. Once we came across a rhino, just half in the mud, it's just nostrils are a little bit above the surface, and it it blissed out. And we're just kind of half there. Ask the question, who? Who's this happening to? For a moment, the attention releases its preoccupation with this object, whatever it happens to be, and notices the possibility to notice that, ah, this experience is an object in awareness. The gateway to that is to notice any little aspects of the experience that's shifting that's becoming otherwise. That's welling up and subsiding. That's having thoughts that keep perpetuating it. That's having feelings that accompany it. Sometimes there's so much happening and then we we, we, we just, we don't... We, we, we just get lost in inquiring, then, then it's important to turn the volume up on our steadiness practice. We, sometimes we just get lost in the insight work, and then we just know that we need, huh, just, just oh, hey, it's too much. One foot touching the earth. Ah, left. Right. Bud, 
toe, breathing in. And then, you know, because all these doubts that come and this restlessness and all the things that have to go to the future, and yet I don't have much energy, so how can I cope with all the things that I'm supposed to do because there's so many things and I don't have much energy and it's just so much in, out. We know we, we can't do insight right then. So we're putting a little more energy back into the stabilizing. In, out. Just be with the, maybe a sensation. And then we're again returning our root. We're grounding and we're resting with, steadied by the truth of the moment, an aspect of the truth. That sensation of the feet touching the earth or the breathing in and breathing out, steadying, calming. That's okay. It's okay to do that. Get filled. And then as we get steady enough, then we can already begin to turn the volume up on Vipassana, looking into. Just while we're breathing, steadying, deepening our rootedness in calmly being with how things are, then we can start to notice change. The experience of seeing that what is in this moment becomes otherwise. Like my words... You might like the talk, not like the talk. Oh, a good talk. Or, oh, my God. I mean, do they ever talk, those guys? They just go on and on and on. And can you realize that as we get closer to the talk, it's full of holes like Swiss cheese. It's each word dissolves. We can just turn our, adjust our calming meditation a little bit to see change. To realize that all this phenomenon are here and gone, dissolving back into the ground of Buddha, of awareness, of consciousness that's pure. And if, of course, if something comes up, then we, we can choose, oh, but, but, but how do I know? How do I know when, when I do more calming, when I do more meditation? I'm not sure. And, um, Time for Vipassana. Oh, thank you very much. Time for Vipassana. Good, I'm going to do Vipassana. Then the Buddha appears. You believe him? You think he's enlightened? Okay, he's been playing around for a few years, but he's not enlightened. I think, and I'm the Buddha, you should do more calming practice. Ah, yes. Because you've got to have more calm, and then you can penetrate. So do deeper calm, deeper calm. Then another figure appears. That's the oldest trick in the book. You thought that was the Buddha? That was Mara, the Hasatan, the tempter. Oh, God, you are. Okay, you're a beginner. <laughs> you know, and at some point, guess what? It's doubt. Oh, Kitty Sarl, tell me. Tanisra, she'll know. I mean, you know, this is the age when women start really taking the baton. Buddha. (laughs) In the end, yes, we can encourage each other, but in the end, it's very helpful to say, ah, there's doubt. But, 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 what should I do? Don't know. But you can know doubt. When doubt is me, I've got to have an answer, got to have an answer. And then we take any old answer. Yeah, and then, then we doubt again. You believed him? You believed her? 
knowing Tao. It's so powerful to see a thought arising and ceasing. Arising and ceasing. Changing. All these hindrances become our sharpening stones. Our sword of wisdom, as our teacher Ajahn Chah used to say, is sharpened. So don't hate them. And it's okay when things are are too much or nothing is happening, just steadying, deepening, just being with the simplicity, grounding of the schedule. That's all right to be refreshed. That's okay. But then I encourage us, just some today, just start to turn the volume a bit up on noticing change in the moment. Sounds coming and going. Breathing in and out. And if there are these other uh, things which are normal to happen, these desires and aversions and dullness and restlessnesses and doubts, then also to, to, to be in that game park, in this wilderness, in this nature. And be interested, oh, okay. Reading the book of the heart. that all these things are not really who we are. Ultimately, they're a phenomena that's coming and going and dissolving back into this ever-present suchness. And if we do get confused, oh, what should I do, what should I do, that is a wonderful opportunity. Ah, there is doubt. Oh, okay, 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 but I want an answer. And we feel that, ah, I want an answer. Knowing the doubt. I might not know what to do, but I'm abiding in knowing. I'm, I'm at ease. But what will I do about that? Not sure yet. But within trusting in being with how it is.
So have a fruitful day of practice. We have a good opportunity. Last night, uh, Tanish and I forgot to tell people to look up on the board. Uh, You probably already did, but to see who those of us who we haven't seen, we're going to see the half that we haven't seen yet today. But uh, just in case you haven't uh, uh, looked, there's a uh, I'll just mention the names of those I'm seeing at 9.30 and the names of those Tanisha is seeing at 9.30. And then please uh, check up on the board for the other times. And if uh, by some chance you didn't get on any list, then let us know and, and uh, Tanisha and I will make sure that you're... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.